0: Before we begin, we'd like to make you aware that the following episode mentions physical and emotional trauma, sexism, death, and dying.
1: Beckley, Raleigh County Memorial Airport. Automated weather observation. Alrighty, righty, I've got a dispatch of 470. Okay. With one hour and 30 on the fuel. Thank you. And if everybody's good, we're gonna go ahead and start. I've got battery is on. Greater than 23.5 volts, FLIs on T.O.T., we're starting to clock into number two's coming up first.
0: I'm Ariana Masagi. In today's episode, we're traveling through the sky with Heidi Stump, critical care flight paramedic with HealthNet in Beckley, West Virginia. Clear!
1: I've got both engines to the fly. Many of people, Barnard our caution, is one I have. No warning, triple tech is in the green. FLIs both on torque. Are all in the black ticket on the back. Ready?
0: This is Appalachian Care Chronicles, a podcast bringing you stories from every corner of West Virginia's health sector. Join me as we journey alongside a variety of problem solvers, change makers, and daily helpers, behind the scenes and on the front lines to care for our communities. Together, we'll explore what they do day to day, the steps that got them there, and the big whys that continue to draw them back. How, in the face of some of the most challenging situations possible, do they manage to keep themselves, and the rest of us, from falling apart? Far from predictable, the paths they've walked are full of twists and surprises, discovery and purpose. This podcast is for anyone who's ever even thought about going into the healthcare field, or has a passion for caring for others in times of need. Let me introduce myself, your host. My name is Ariana, and I'm graduating medical school at Marshall University in Huntington, West Virginia. I'm about to start my four-year residency training in psychiatry. I never thought I'd be here, especially after getting a bachelor's degree in music performance, and I'm so happy to feel like I've found my place in this world. In today's episode, we're traveling through the sky with Heidi Stump, critical care flight paramedic with HealthNet in Beckley, West Virginia. Critical care air transport is a valuable component of any effective healthcare system, but it's particularly vital in remote and rural places like West Virginia, where so much of our population lives nestled deep in the hills, accessible only by bumpy back roads, often hours from the nearest hospital. When serious accidents or injuries occur in these environments, an emergency helicopter is sometimes a person's only chance at survival. For flight paramedics like Heidi and their teams, these high stakes give a powerful sense of purpose to their work. No spoilers, but this episode we're in for a wild ride.
1: One When we respond to a call, in the back there's going to be a critical care nurse and a critical care paramedic, and then your pilot. Last unit on Echo, go ahead. And we will respond to um, what we call a scene call. Last unit on Echo, How do you get to go in the back? Yes, sir. Health at five, down, secure. That can be a ambulance that has called for backup. That could be, let's say, a bad car wreck on the interstate, or Our fire department will shut down the interstate. We can land. We have the ability to start blood on patients in the field if they're bleeding out, and do advanced airway procedures and um, things that can be urgently life-saving. We can start antibiotics. We can give blood and plasma and different things that aren't readily available otherwise within the time frame you need. You know, we can crawl inside of cars, you know, on the interstate or go over the mountain and, you know, that could also be a stroke or a heart attack or somebody that just can't get to a interventional facility within that time window. Outside of a scene call, we do what's called interfacility transfers. And that's taking somebody that's already had care established and started at an emergency room for some sort of urgent thing, whether they're unresponsive, uh, it's a diabetic problem or cardiac or whatever it might be, and they need transferred to a facility that can interventionally help them and continue their care.
0: Let me pause for a moment to paint a picture of Heidi for you. Petite and soft-spoken, long hair neatly braided and swept to one side, helmet gripped by freshly manicured hands, Heidi really stands out in this highly physical, male-dominated line of healthcare work. And, as one might expect, that's presented a lot of challenges along the way. There weren't even female uniforms for EMTs when Heidi first began. But Heidi's never been one to let other people's doubts or an oversized flight suit stop her.
1: When I started, I... I had guys look at me very bluntly, cuss me out, tell me I had no business being on an ambulance. That woman had a business being on an ambulance. I had no business being on an ambulance because I'm smaller framed. And for the record, I can usually lift at least as much as a man. <laughs> Anybody will tell you. But um, being a woman in EMS is wonderful um, for so many reasons. As far as size-wise, it can have a lot of advantages. You have a bad car wreck, you have what we call entrapment or where the metal of a car is folded around a patient and has to be cut out. If you have a smaller frame that can be really advantageous because you can fit and crawl in crannies and cracks that nobody else can get to and honestly that's really fun. That is one of my favorite things is to be able to crawl in those spaces and access a patient and touch them and look at them and care for them and be that voice in their ear or wherever because some people, you know, like my old partner was really tall, broad shouldered big guy, and we were the perfect team because the things I might not be able to brute my way through, he could. And where he couldn't go, I could. And so you really learn your strengths and weaknesses and them.
0: Fitting in tight spaces is one of the dozens of qualities that has often served Heidi along with her team and of course her patients in a pinch. Long before she was in the air, Heidi was already at the center of the action, helping load patients on and off emergency vehicles and driving ambulances to the scene. One of my favorite memories was
1: actually when I was still an EMT and I worked in McDowell County. We got a call for a house that had collapsed on a man around three in the morning. It was dark, rainy night. A very large tree had fallen on his small friend's house. It was a really old-fashioned, tiny house, low ceilings, and if I reached my arms completely out, I couldn't get around even half the tree. It was enormous. This elderly gentleman had been laying in bed when the tree fell on his house. So when that happened, it collapsed the roof and the walls, and he was actually still in the remnants of his bed, and his bed had been pushed through the floor down into the basement. We were able to call out to him. He was able to answer us. It was still raining hard the only entrance that we could find in the rubble was small, about the size that my body would fit through, so I could pull myself into the waist. And then from there, I was able to grab hold of rubble and pull myself through until I got to Grandpa in the basement. And it was really cold. It was, um, I don't know, maybe 40s, but raining. And he was soaking wet. I cut as much of his clothing off as I could and wrapped him in wool blankets that they were stuffing down that little tunnel space through to me and um, took his blood pressure and stuff, you know, kept him warm and comfortable as best as I could and kept reassessing him. My partner requisitioned equipment from local coal mines. She literally had a road built to get more rescue equipment between the coal mines and the state road in close enough that we could lift not the tree because it was too big but enough of the branches off we could get him out. That for me was a really good memory. He was in his 80s I think at the time and he ended up with two broken legs and made a wonderful recovery.
0: Appalachian Care Chronicles is made possible thanks to the West Virginia Higher Education Policy Commission and Claude Worthington-Benedim Foundation, serving communities in West Virginia and southwestern Pennsylvania since 1944. As a flight paramedic, Heidi encounters people during some of the most intense traumatic moments of their lives. In these critical, often life-threatening situations, people are terrified for their own safety or for the safety of a loved one. She knows when she arrives on a scene, she is providing more than emergency medical attention. Her presence reassures people that a qualified professional who knows how to help is there for them. She knows that because growing up, someone was there for her family when they were facing a crisis. I had a brother named Hans, and we were 14 months apart. We were very close. We were
1: homeschooled, so we were together all day, every day. He was my best friend in the world, and he had a sudden onset of grandma seizures, which has really exaggerated movements. Patients can stop breathing, you know, they're not aware. It's a really violent-looking process if you're not used to it. And so when I was a little kid, he had an onset of those. I would find my brother blue, not breathing, and convulsing. We would call an ambulance, and I remember the feeling that I got when they walked through the door. I was probably around seven the first time that happened, and it still takes my breath away and gives me chill bumps. Because I knew once they walked in the door there was somebody there that knew more than I did that was trained that would probably be able to help. I remembered thinking if there was anything I could do to give
0: that feeling to somebody someday that that's what I wanted to do. I'm so grateful to Heidi for sharing her personal inspiration for getting into healthcare. She clearly found her calling at a young age and her why seems to be what carries her through her work. In medical school, we spend at least two weeks working in the emergency room and at least seven weeks in surgery, which often includes trauma services. For me, the roughly three months that I spent around trauma cases was enough. I found that I had trouble thinking under such high-stakes circumstances, and honestly, I don't like blood. That exposure makes me even more grateful for emergency response service workers. There may be the stereotype of first responders looking extremely sturdy, stoic, and action-oriented. And physical strength is definitely a key part of the job. But being in touch with your emotions and others' emotions is crucial to doing the job well. And it can affect how your patients and their families process, remember, and heal from what was most likely a very traumatic experience.
1: If you go into a patient's house and grandpa's laying in the bed dying, you can't just go in and scoop grandpa out and run out and not. You have to be able to understand how to talk to people where they're at, emotionally most of all, and mentally, and where they're at in their mental space in the process of that emergency or that patient's disease process, it's always different, right? And obviously, like, you can't save somebody with emotions, right, like, sometimes that patient needs a surgeon or medicine or blood or this immediately, and there's nothing that takes the place of that, but that being said, if somebody is dying, not dying, you have an emergency or a crisis, What you do for that person medically and physically a lot of times I feel like is going to pale in comparison to what you do for that person or their family emotionally at the time. And it's really important to look at the patient and whatever's surrounding them as a whole package and not tunnel vision and just on what you can physically do to fix that at the same time. Now, that's not saying you're going to let, you know, like granny die of respiratory failure or somebody bleed out because you're taking care of somebody's emotions, but you learn to multitask really well. And so while you're doing something with your hands, you're also talking the patient through it. You're talking their family through it. Sometimes the outcome is not going to be changed no matter what happens As far as a patient dying or not dying, and how you can step through that process with the patients and the people around them, I feel like it's really important. Those moments leading up to that are things that will be imprinted in people's minds
0: I feel like for the rest of their life. Heidi's work as a critical care flight paramedic is intense and unpredictable. The nature of the job demands emotional resiliency and an ability to think on one's feet. But these are qualities, Heidi says, that for the most part, she's developed with experience and time. I feel like the skills that you would need to be an EMS worker
1: are skills that you, of course, innately have a lot of people do, and then you kind of subconsciously develop along the way. You know, I will never forget the first time that I looked at somebody and told her that her husband was dead and there was nothing that we could do, and I was 18, and my partner was 18, and... I felt so lost and terribly overwhelmed for myself and the lady. I knew, I thought, you know, I am a child standing here telling her that her lifelong partner is dead, and I felt so inadequate and so ridiculous almost because I knew I was a child and I knew that she was seeing me as a child. And I remember other, like, hallmark, maybe for me, emotional events that I went through with people's families or experiences and how they kind of shape you in your career when i started ems i was a complete mouse you could look at me and talk to me and i might not talk back (laughs) i was so shy and meek and quiet and then as you progress you really understand how important it is to be able to lead and direct and organize and orchestrate and communicate with confidence and empathy. And I feel like those are things that you, if you have an open heart or open mind at all, anybody can develop those type of things. But I think you need to be able to lead or be open to developing that in a conscious and compassionate way. Um, Being able to empathize, I think, is a necessity. I don't know if everybody would check that one, but confidence, leadership, empathy communication. I think that's a good start, at least just a skill set. And anybody can possess those or develop those.
0: Let's talk about two significant challenges faced by healthcare professionals, burnout and compassion fatigue. Long working hours, high patient loads, administrative burdens, and the emotional toll of dealing with challenging situations can lead to what we call burnout. Compassion fatigue, sometimes referred to as secondary traumatic stress, occurs when healthcare professionals become emotionally and psychologically drained by repeatedly witnessing and empathizing with the suffering of others. Finding strategies to avoid burnout, like surrounding yourself with a strong support system, is so necessary to be able to continue in this type of work. For Heidi and many other medical professionals who encounter trauma every day, that support system is commonly found amongst coworkers.
1: EMS in general offers such a wonderful just such a wonderful group to be in. It's a very family-like feel. There's a very raw honesty, I feel like, to your relationships with the people that you work with, being together in the same building or in the same happy or sticky or weird or boring or bizarre experiences. You know, you see such a gamma of emotions together, and you get to build really strong and unique family-like relationships with the people that you work with. And that is for me also one of the favorite things I love about this job. Um, You build a lot of trust and rapport with the people that you work with and that also gives you hopefully somebody else that you can kind of lean on and talk through your experiences with because they were right there beside you. So it's also you know a good way to help process things at the end of the day and learn and grow. You can challenge each other to learn and grow you know and also on the
0: flip side of that kind of be a support system. Paramedics are needed all over the world. Every country, every environment, from mountains to oceans, in big cities and the most remote off the grid places. It's a path that can take you anywhere. There are so many neat places that you can go to within EMS,
1: and a lot of it depends on your ability to be able to travel, you know, as far as what you can or can't do. But if you are a paramedic, you can work a lot of times in an emergency room. You can obviously work on an ambulance. Cruise ships hire paramedics all the time. You have like a three or six month contract. Um, So that's really neat. You can work on an oil rig. Oil rigs hire paramedics. Um, I have a friend that worked as a paramedic on a research dive vessel and Their vessel was one of two in the whole world that was responsible for mapping, for creating like the first continuous map of the ocean floor. Um, And that was fascinating. And he was considered like the onboard doctor almost. He was the only medical person there. He had a whole clinical setup and he was responsible for taking care of these people. A lot of them couldn't even speak English. One of the people he took care of was one of like three people in the whole world that even knew how to do this. You know, it's really neat. Um, Before I started here, I got hired by a company called Remote. Medical International. And they um, contract paramedics out to embassies. So you can go work at U.S. embassies, you can get contracted out to work like, and remote medical services, but more land-based, like even here in the U.S. at oil rigs, you know, way out, Alaska, Montana. You can work at bush clinics in Alaska. There's so many ways that you can take it outside of flight and ground, because those are the things that pop up immediately, I feel like. But as far as a personal fulfillment, I love working in southern West Virginia. It has brought me a fulfillment, and I feel like a intimate, true connection with people that's hard to find in a lot of places. And I love the chance to work. I believe working in McDowell and Logan County, honestly, has been some of the favorite things in my career. I feel like, as a provider, that you have the chance to get really good skills because you're very remote. And you're dealing with people a lot of times who are very independent and don't want to go somewhere for help until they're really sick and then as far as personality wise I just love our people here in the mountains I feel like there's just such a honesty and a wholesomeness and a I don't know how to put it into words but just something that's very tangible and home and I love it
0: To me, there's nothing better than West Virginians choosing to give back to the place that raised them. People like Heidi are bridging the gap in healthcare disparities, providing access to vital medical services, education, and resources that can improve health outcomes and empower their communities. They bring a deep understanding of the unique challenges faced by their neighbors and work tirelessly to address them. My favorite professors in medical school are the ones that went to school here, did their training here, and stayed here to practice. Their values are clear. They want to serve the people that raised them. They understand their patients like no one else can, and they learn from them every day. You
1: have to have the ability to learn, because you will fall on your face. You absolutely will. And when you do, it's most likely not going to involve just you. And... The ability to grow with grace and to accept criticism and to have learning experiences is definitely a very real part of it as well. I really feel, working EMS, that to do this job is such a extreme privilege. It blows my mind that you can go to school or take classes. And somebody picks a phone up and says, hey, I need help. And I don't care if it's a stub toe or if it's granny and she can't breathe or if it's a car wreck and somebody's arms on the other side of the road. You know, somebody's going to pick up a phone and say, I need help. And the fact that you show up and because you're in a uniform, they trust you and your knowledge and how you behave ethically and as a profession to do the best right thing for them when they don't have the ability to do that for themselves. I think that is an indescribable privilege. You get to look people in the eye and tell them sincerely that you are going to do the best you can to take care of their family and they trust you with the most precious things in their life. I think that is a privilege beyond words. And two, And I'm so grateful to have a career where I get to be part of that. There is a lot of physical pain. I've had hernia repairs and I have back problems from lifting, there's a lot of physical pain and there's a lot of emotional pain that goes with it. And not to be traumatic, but it's also true and it can't be avoided. And I know that who I am as a person has evolved and changed a lot over the years as my career has grown. There's things that you experience and see and go through with people that you can't really verbalize and explain to other people because you don't want to share that pain and pass it along. And if you did, it still seems kind of mute and empty, just transmitting that. But during this process of thinking about an interview, it really gave me the chance to have reflection and realize the depth of joy and satisfaction that this job has brought me in my life. And I do absolutely hope that there are other people out there that will look at a career in EMS and understand that when they go to bed at night, sometimes they might be really sad or they might cry, but they also can have a feeling that they had the privilege of doing something that mattered to somebody else's life, you know, at the end of the day. And the feeling that that gives you outweighs all the sadness and all the weird moments. And it is just so profoundly worth it. I really do believe that. And, you know, everybody's cut out for something different. And we all, thank goodness, have different talents and different jobs. But for me personally, this career in this field has been the most wonderful lifelong experience. And I hope there's other people that can share that and have that type of joy and that depth of passion, and fulfillment that it gives you.
0: Appalachian Care Chronicles is a production of the West Virginia Higher Education Policy Commission Health Sciences Division. Special thanks to the Claude Worthington Benedum Foundation and HealthNet for their support. For more information about educational opportunities related to healthcare in West Virginia, visit appcarepod.com. That's APPcarepod.com. I'm Ariana Misagi, and you've been listening to Appalachian Care Chronicles. Stay tuned for our next episode featuring Anitra Ellis, family nurse practitioner and community educator who goes above and beyond to meet patients where they are in their homes.